that song, His Mercy Is More, just becomes more precious over the years as we've sang it. Uh, I love that song. I needed to hear that this morning for sure. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we are at today. We started Ephesians last week just with the first two verses, and we learned that this is a letter written by Paul, who is a missionary to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and he's writing this letter to Christians in Ephesus, but also in the churches around Ephesus, who are being threatened by persecution, and, and I want to emphasize this today, they're dealing with a whole lot of division, okay? So back then, uh, they're in the Roman Empire, and just like we have issues and division, they did too. They had political division, they had division between the haves and the have-nots, the rich and the poor, the powerful and the weak. But within the church, the primary division was between two groups, the, the Gentile converts and the Jewish converts. That was the main division. The, those who had come to trust in Christ out of Judaism or out of, like they were Israelites, versus those who were the non-Jews, the Gentiles, who had come to trust in Christ. And so those two groups were struggling to get along. That was the division that they were dealing with. And so Paul was this chosen by God missionary to help kind of bridge the gap between these two rivals. And it's, this is probably a bad illustration, but it was the best one I could come up with. It would be kind of like if the governor of Kentucky one day had the power to say, look, I want to I merge the University of Kentucky and the University of Louisville into one new university called Kentucky Lou or something. I don't know. And you're like, you're a staff on, in Louisville, okay, on the Louisville campus. And he comes to you and says, look, I want you to help bridge and unite these two organizations into one. I mean, can you imagine how difficult and the challenges that it would be to, to unite two rivals together in unity? But that's what Paul is attempting to do. And we're, we're going to see this in the book of Ephesians. We're going to see it today. That this letter from Paul to the Ephesians and the surrounding churches was meant to unify these two rivals, the Jewish converts and the Gentile converts. They were to be this one new humanity in Christ. So let's pray one more time. And we're going to start diving into this. Father, we desperately need your word this morning. Your glorious truth. Help us through your spirit to see your glory in your word, your truth. And I pray that we would be amazed. That we would worship you in light of this truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, there's a lot of background here. And Kim, keep up. <laughs> there's a lot of slides. Good luck. Um, I'll try to help you through it. So, 
Ironically, in a letter that is meant to bring unity, the text that we're going to go through today has probably brought some of the most division within the church in the last 500 years. Okay? Paul begins this letter with a worship song. And I'm talking about verses 3 through 14. It's a victory song to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's one long run-on sentence in the Greek. And in these verses, there are a lot of churchy words. There's a lot of words you hear on Sunday mornings, often like blessed and adoption and grace. But there's also some controversial words, like predestination and election. Words that historically and still today very much divide the church. Words that in your mind might bring a whole lot of confusion and a whole lot of maybe even frustration. For many, predestination and election bring to mind words like Calvinism, and if you don't know who that is, it's okay. <laughs> For others, those words bring a whole lot of anxiety, questions. Am I elect? Am I chosen? Have I been predestined? What if I'm not? What about my kids? What about my, my friends, my, my neighbors? What about them? And what if, if God predestines people to heaven, does that also imply that he predestines people to hell? And if that's the case, why do we even evangelize if it's all already predestined? So these are questions that I've been wrestling with for years. And this morning, I'm going to do my best to try to articulate what I believe Paul had in mind as he was writing these words in this letter to the Ephesians. And I've, I've tried hard, and it's not been easy, but I've tried hard to set aside my own biases and approach this text with a whole lot of humility. And I would ask you to try to do the same thing. I, wanna, I want us to get inside Paul's head here. Uh, I've been reading a, a, a good book that's been super helpful. Caleb recommended it, and um, it's, it's called Misreading Scripture with Individualistic Eyes. And it's helped me see that growing up in our hyper-individualistic Western culture, it definitely influences how I read Scripture. I think that's true of all of us. And, and, and because I think most of us have grown up looking at Scripture with this certain narrative in the background of our minds. And this is the narrative. This is the story. It starts with two characters. It's God and me. I'm going to put this up on the screen. And th this is what I want to do. Go back to the last slide. This is what I want to do. Uh, I want to compare the narrative that's in our head versus what I think the narrative would be in Paul's head, okay? So the narrative, and go slow through these, but the first thing I want, I want to point out is that the narrative in our head is it starts individualistically. There's God and there's me. And our main problem is, of course, sin. And sin uh, causes us to deserve hell. We're all on this path that leads to hell, permanent separation from God. But God in his mercy intervenes. And Jesus comes, he dies on the cross, paying the penalty that we deserve. 
And then he rises from the grave so that those who believe can be put on a new path, a path to heaven, where we will live with God for eternity. I think this is the basic narrative that most of us, if you've grown up in church, this is the basic narrative that, that you've, you've got going on in our, your head and my head too. And there's, there's some good things with this. I mean, it's simple. It's simple to understand. It's simple to communicate. It has, over the years, motivated many people, including myself, to make personal decisions to follow Christ. But I want to submit to you, I don't think this is the full picture. And I don't think this is the narrative that Paul would have had in his mind. The narrative that Paul had in his mind was much more nuanced and much more rich. Paul grew up as a Jew, and so he would have had the whole Old Testament story in his mind as he's writing this letter. And it's important for us to understand this as we think about these confusing words like predestination and election. So the narrative that Paul would have had in his head starts with Genesis chapter 1. And he's not thinking individualistic like we do. He's not thinking God and me. He's thinking God and humanity. And he's, he starts in Genesis 1 in the garden where God is with Adam and Eve, the first two characters, or the first two humans, and they're, they're with each other. Heaven is on earth in the garden with humans. We're in the very presence of God. So it's God and humanity. Humanity, again, begins with these two characters, Adam and Eve, who are made in God's image. Humanity was created to bear God's Name to be the very the physical embodiment of God's presence and power here on earth. And this was a blessing given to humanity by God. We'll take a look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. I, I quote this all the time, but it's important for us to remember it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So humanity was given this commission as a blessing to fill the earth with God's image and spread his loving rule, his order, around the globe. Now, go back to Ephesians and look at the very first word of verse 3. So this is the beginning of the song. Paul starts off by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So literally every blessing of the Spirit in the heavenly places. And so three times he mentions that word blessing or blessed. So when Paul talks about blessings given to us in Christ by God, he's got the whole Old Testament in mind, starting in Genesis chapter 1. Now the story goes on, and, and things go downhill with Adam and Eve. Go ahead and next slide. And the next one. Yep, so things go downhill fast. Humanity, Adam and Eve rebel, uh, and... Things go bad. Humanity does become fruitful and multiply, but what do they fill the earth with? Go to Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. 
Now the, so this is right before the flood. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. So humanity was on a path to destruction, and what does God do? God elects or chooses one family to rescue, and after the flood, he gives them the same commission and blessing. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Unfortunately, things fall apart quickly again. And it, fall, and it climaxes in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, where humanity actually comes together to do the opposite of filling the land and spreading God's name and God's loving rule. Instead, what happens? Genesis 11, 4. Then they said, humanity said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And so they wanted to make a name for themselves rather than God. They build a city where they don't have to spread out, and they build a tower to the heavens to try to bring heaven back to earth on their own terms. And so God says, nope. He knocks down their tower. He confuses their languages so that they can't try this again, which was grace. And they, he disperses them, and he scatters them. But then again, what does he do? He elects. He chooses one family, Abraham's family, to, to bless and commission to restore God's blessing to the scattered families and nations. Go to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, listen, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And listen to this. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now think about it. Was Abraham a significant character in Paul's mind, in, in Paul's world? Absolutely. He talks about Abraham all the time, dozens of times in his letters and when he's preaching in the book of Acts, he's talking about Abraham. This is the narrative that's going on in, in Paul's head. Now, Abraham's family would be fruitful and they would multiply. We saw that in the book of Exodus at the very beginning. They become the nation of Israel. And, and listen to the language of Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a, a people holy to the Lord. In other words, set apart to the Lord, your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. But once again, they fall short. That's pretty much the rest of the Old Testament, right? They fall short of the commission to, to be a blessing to the nations. At times, Abraham's family, the Israelites, would be a blessing to others, but most times this family brought cursing and death on themselves and on some of their neighbors. And in the end, they reject their calling, they worship other gods, they end up in exile. And so we see this pattern that, that God blesses humanity, commissions them, humanity rejects the commission and forfeits their blessing. God chooses one family among 
the many to restore the blessing back to the many. But again, they reject the commission. And so what does God do? Does he just give up on humanity? No, of course not, because he is full of loyal love and faithfulness. He's merciful, he's gracious, he's slow to anger. And so God sends his prophets to give humanity hope that one day there would be this Messiah, that there would be a Messiah, an anointed king that would come from the line of David who would be blessed and he would restore God's blessing to the nations. Psalm 72 is just one example of many that I could share with you that tell of this coming messianic king. Verse 1 says this, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressors. And then you skip down to verse 17 and we read this. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. Listen to this. May people, plural, may people be blessed in him. Again, there's that language of in him. All nations call him blessed. So over and over, the prophets and the psalmists talk about this coming king in whom the nations that have been scattered will be blessed through. This is the narrative, I believe, that, that Paul has in his mind as he's writing this letter. And when we know this, I think the letter starts to make more sense. I think the song starts to make more sense. And perhaps these scary words like election and predestination become a little bit less scary. So with that narrative fresh in our minds, I want us to walk through this passage, starting in verse 3, going through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, that's another word for Messiah, in the Messiah, with every spiritual blessing, blessings, uh, literally blessing of the Spirit in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. All right, so here's the big question. Who's the us? Who's the us? And I would submit to you, in light of everything that we've talked about and seen in the, in the scriptures, this is not you and me that Paul has in mind at this point. And, and, and I know this is probably a bit of a paradigm shift for, for some of you. I know it was for me. Uh, but I, I think this will become even more clear as we get to the end of this song and as we walk through the rest of Ephesians. The us is referring to the chosen family of Abraham, the Israelites, the Jews, okay? Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And again, he's talking about the Israelites here. Uh, and this lines up with other places where Paul, like in Romans 9, where he says they are the Israelites and they, to them, belong the adoption. 
Go on to verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us, the Israelites, in the beloved, that's Christ, in him we, the Israelites, have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, listen to this, to unite, keyword there, all things, all people in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In other words, to bring the blessing of heaven in God's presence back presence back to the earth like it was in the garden. Verse 11. In him we, again the Israelites, have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we, the Israelites, who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The Jews were the first converts. Now, we come to kind of the mic drop moment. And I want you to know, I want you to pay attention to the pronoun change here. Notice the pronoun, the pronoun change in verse 13. In him, you. Okay? So it was us, us, we, we, we. Now in verse 13, in him, you. Literally, y'all, plural. <laughs> He's talking about the Gentiles now. Okay? You all, you Gentiles, also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So Paul is saying, praise God, that he is bringing his blessing, his adoption, his election, his promises, the presence of his very spirit to dwell in us, to the nations, to the Gentiles, to you and to me. Paul is saying that all those wonderful blessings that were promised in the Messiah are now available to us. I thought long and hard about an illustration uh, on how to drive this point home, but the, the, there is nothing that really compares to it. There, there's no blessing, there's no gift that has been released to the world that comes close to the good news of Jesus Christ. There, there's no technological advancement that has been released. There's, there's no gifted artist or musician or medical miracle that has accomplished what God did in and through Jesus. Listen, the good news is not just this, this simple story of Jesus saving us from hell. It's, it's better than that. It's about the good news that we Gentiles have been rescued, that we have been brought back into God's family, blessed and commissioned to be fruitful and multiply and spread God's blessing, his loving rule to the globe. Make disciples of all nations. Paul's heart in the whole book of Ephesians is to encourage us with this good news. This revelation of Jesus bringing God's blessings to the nations. And this is meant 
to cause our hearts to worship and inspire us to live in light of this good news. The letter, it has two parts to it. If you look at the whole letter, it's got two parts. It's got the first three chapters are dedicated to the good news that God's favor is being restored to the nations. And the second half of it, verses 4 through 6, is all about what this new humanity of both Jews and Gentiles is going to look like. So the whole structure of the first three chapters, and I want us to look at this, the whole structure of the first three chapters point to this main purpose of this letter. And you can tell that Paul was highly educated, that he, he writes with, this letter is just like a masterpiece, incredibly thought out. It wasn't, it was typical actually of ancient Greek writings that had like this parallelism. And, and I want to show you this next, go ahead to the next slide. Did not come through? Go one more. Is that all? Hmm, maybe it didn't come through. All right, so I'll explain it to you. Okay, so picture this in your mind, because there was a graphic that I thought was awesome. That's all right. So this is what's going on. So in chapter 1 begins with a song. The end of chapter 3 begins with a song, or ends with a song. I think because Paul looks at the gospel as something that propels us to worship. But then after the song in chapter 1, and before the song in chapter 3, Paul prays. There's a prayer. And so prayer and worship sandwich the main message that God is rescuing his people, both Jews and Gentiles, and bringing them together into one new humanity. And in the middle of this, this message, we find the heartbeat of the letter, the purpose of the letter, which is, if you look at chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, this is the reason God is rescuing the nations. Chapter 2, 19 through 22, this is, I believe, the heart of the book of Ephesians. So then... Y'all, Gentiles, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And that is normal with ancient literature, especially in Greek literature, for there to be this parallelism and it like it climaxes in the middle and gives you the main point. This is the middle. This is the main point. The heartbeat and the purpose of this letter to the Ephesians is that God is gathering the alienated nations back to him in Christ so that we can grow together to be the temple, the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. And this is what this song in chapter 1 is celebrating and praising God for. And the end of the song, I think, is, is the telling climax. Paul is saying, we, the Jews, because he was a Jew, a Jewish convert, he's saying, we, the Jews, we were the OG, right? We, we, we were God's chosen people. We were the elect. The predestined Messiah came from us. We were the first to receive the message of the Messiah. And for those of us who trusted in him, his blood covered our sins. His grace has been lavished on us in spite of our constant failures. He has made known to us the mystery of his will. 
in Christ to unite all things in heaven and on earth. We were the first to have a chance to, to hope in him and to celebrate and to pray to the praise of his glory because he pursued us and loved us. And now, but now, y'all Gentiles are invited to be part of the family. You're invited in too. Y'all have heard, who have heard the good news, the salvation, and believed in him. You are now sealed with the Holy Spirit, the down payment, the guarantee that you will enjoy the same inheritance as us. The Jews who have first believed, you too now have been adopted in. You too are now the elect. You too are now the chosen. You too are now the predestined to the praise of his glory. I probably just opened up a huge can of worms. You might have more questions than I can answer right now. <laughs> and that's okay. Um, I would love to talk to you more about this. But my prayer right now is that this would cause us to worship. We have a whole lot to worship. Or good reason to worship. And so let's pray one more time. And then we'll continue to sing. Oh, Father... I thank you for your word. And I know that there are mysteries and things that we don't understand. And I pray that you would help us to be more and more okay with that, that we would approach your word with a whole lot of humility. And I pray that you would use the good news to inspire us to want to know you more, to want to tell others about you, to love, truly love one another, to be like you, compassionate and mercy, merciful and slow to anger, that we would be filled with faith, faithfulness and we would be filled with loyal love. This is what you're calling us to be, to be united in Christ. For your glory, to the praise of your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. All right, we're going to move into a time of communion. I would encourage you during this time, if you're a believer, you, you celebrate with us. Christ gave us this as a blessing to remind us about the blessing that he has brought to us. That his blood forgives us. His body was given to us. And so I'd encourage you, use this time to just reflect and praise the Lord. And we're going to stand together, we're going to worship together and celebrate together what Christ has done. If you have questions about what we've talked about today, feel free to stick around afterwards or email me. Um, if you've got questions about salvation, or if you've got questions about baptism or membership, feel free. Don't leave today until you get those questions answered. If you need prayer, I'll be in the back, of course. You come as God is calling you to respond. And after everybody's had a chance to take communion, we're going to stand and we're going to worship together.